everyone, and welcome back to the Football Outsiders Fantasy Podcast. I'm your host, Scott Spratt, a writer for FootballOutsiders.com, part of Edge Sports. We're heading into week 15, so hopefully you've survived the first round of your fantasy playoffs if you play in that format. If you did, we've got some great waiver wire advice for you for this week, bringing in Sean Siegel of Rotoviz to help us out there. But before we get to that interview, let me tell you about an exclusive offer from Football Outsiders, the innovators of modern football analytics. They've got the proprietary metrics you know and love, like DVOA and DYAR, that are used by teams. They're also great tools for fantasy players. So get the most out of your fantasy teams and DFS lineups today with an FO Plus package. You can become an outsider with promo code FANTASY25 to save 25% off site-wide. That's code FANTASY25 to save 25% off site-wide on Football Outsiders tools and statistics. The show is also brought to you by Edge Sports, trusted by Super Bowl champions and billion-dollar betting syndicates. Only Edge Sports offers a fully customizable probability engine, interactive matchup models, and spread and over-under projections. Find your edge today with promo code FANTASY50 to save 50% off site-wide there. That's code FANTASY50 to save 50% off site-wide on all of Edge Sports packages, EDJ Sports. Okay, let's head over to that interview with Sean. Okay, joining me on the line is Sean Siegel, co-owner of Rotoviz. Sean, welcome back to the show. Been a few weeks since I've had you on, but I'm glad to have you back, especially now that we're in the fantasy playoffs and the waiver wire is a really important topic. How's it going? Good, good. And uh, it's a fun week to be back and to be on. I think that you know people are, are getting pretty familiar with their waiver wire options and you know we don't have maybe the clear-cut choices that we had early in the season. But I like this group that we're going to talk about today because there are some guys who have held on and fought their way to stay on rosters who finally uh, now are, are relevant. And I think when we look back at sort of their college profiles and then where they are now, it, it's exciting to see them having persevered, be where they are, and now perhaps help your team during the fantasy playoffs. I've been really surprised by how many players with, say, sub-20% roster percentages I think are worth picking up and maybe even starting in your fantasy playoffs, which is something that I normally wouldn't suggest. But some of these players have kind of come out of nowhere a little bit to make a roster impact. And I think because they're the most interesting players, we're going to focus on them today more than, say, your Cam Akers and Brandon Ix of the world, who, if they're still available in your league, obviously you should pick up. But I think that's a little bit more cut and dried. So, Sean, why don't you get us started, I think, with a player that's pretty available in a lot of leagues that I think can really help players in the fantasy playoffs. Yeah, we have Chad Hansen here, a wide receiver for the Houston Texans, who's down at the 1-2% range in terms of ownership. I picked him up for a lot of my dynasty teams, especially the ones that are still alive that can make a push over these last couple of weeks because his target share in the absence of Will Fuller with Kenny Stills being cut, Brandon Cooks, uh, you know, very iffy and missing week week 14 here, you know, we see that there are a lot of targets available. If we go and look over the last two weeks, we can see that Hansen leads in targets with 14. He leads in air yards with 162 to 119 over QT. So, we have the volume here. He's turned that into 157 yards. That's not uh, earth-shattering, but it's something that can help you and is playable a little bit. Yeah. And Hanson's someone I think is interesting because when you go back and look, you know, drafted 2017, that's a long time ago, had to fight his way through numerous practice squads. He's someone who was originally Idaho State, transfers to California, doesn't do much in his first year there in 2015, but 2016, his last year in college, breaks out with this 1249 season he had 11 touchdowns 34 percent of the 
the yards, 37% of the touchdowns. We know that that final season, especially for older players, can be a little bit misleading, but I do like to see these guys who were productive in college and then are willing to stick around. I think if we're looking at someone who can vacuum up some targets you know, from Deshaun Watson here, Watson didn't have the points. He had a little bit of an unfortunate situation where the sun got in his tight end's eyes. You know, down at the one you know, touchdown overturned there. But yeah. Watson, someone who can create for almost anyone, this team is going to move the ball. I think you've got to like the guys who are on the field right now. Yeah, I totally agree with your point about Watson potentially making stars out of pretty much anybody on the field. And so I've been really kind of paying attention to playing time with a lot of these receivers to try to sort this out. And he, I think two weeks ago, led the team's receivers in offensive snap share. He was second this week, but second to Steven Mitchell, a player that I think is a lot less of a fixture in the lineup. And so Brandon Cook, since he was a game time decision this last week, dealing with his neck and foot injuries, I assume he'll be back and probably ready to play in week 15, but he'll be taking Mitchell's spot, presumably leaving Hanson and Cutie out there as well as this team plays a lot of three wide receiver sets. So yeah, I'm feeling very optimistic as well. I mean, you mentioned the 14 total targets. I have that as a 21.9% target share. That's 32nd among all wide receivers. And I think that's kind of a fair assessment of his value, maybe a back-end wide receiver three in your 12-team type of leagues. And I've also liked what I've seen from Hanson from like a video perspective. He's got a little bit of size on him. I think he's a little bit more talented than you would anticipate for a player that was released by the Jets several years ago and hasn't really found his way in the NFL since then. So I'm shockingly optimistic about a player that really I had no idea was even still around in the NFL two weeks ago. I think he is somebody that can make a difference. Okay, next up, uh, Sean, let's go to a player that I think is going to be a very big talking point from a lot of perspectives this week. Jalen Hurts, available in more than 80% of both ESPN and Yahoo formats as well, but somebody that I think is going to end up being universally owned after his debut here, kind of middling production as a passer, 17 of 30 for 167 and a touchdown, but 18 carries for 106 yards on the ground, where in typical fantasy formats, that production is much more important than air production in any case. And that wasn't really a surprise to me. He averaged 11 carries and 58 rushing yards per game in college. So you kind of saw that as being a thing that could happen again this uh, this week. And as he's now the starter, uh, I was kind of trying to figure out where those rushing yards were coming from a little bit more this game than I did in his, his debut the previous week. And a lot of it was on scrambles, but he also had some design runs. Uh, I noted there was a nice gainer on a zone read carry that he had kind of outrushed and turned the corner. And he also kind of fought through some contact from Marcus Williams to convert on a fourth and one, which I thought showed like some, some nice strength that I think this could be a critical piece to whether or not he has fantasy value. Uh, he is six foot one and 222 pounds. So probably a little bit bigger than say your Lamar Jackson and Kyler Murray types. And while he hasn't scored on the ground yet and has been kind of a, not really heavily used near the goal line yet the way that Carson Wentz was, I think that could be something that's coming. And so like, I wouldn't be shocked if Hertz suddenly kind of entered that top 10 among quarterbacks based on the rushing production, both with yardage and with touchdown scoring in fantasy formats that that benefits. Do you think that, that Hertz has the, I guess the natural talent to sign a support that type of fantasy role? I do. And I think that it was very impressive to see him number one, get off, to such a fast start but to do it against a team that we have is a very very bad matchup for passers i know you guys obviously have a, a ton of great strength of schedule mm-hmm. data there at football outsiders dave caven has a great tool for us at rotoviz 
his uh, sort of advanced strength of schedule metrics put the Saints as one of the very toughest matchups that you can run into. I don't think that's a surprise to anybody who has watched them play. And so you take that rushing upside, and now weeks 15, week 16, Arizona, Dallas, much more positive matchups. You add a little bit more through the air, maybe get Jalen Rager a little bit involved, and suddenly you have the potential for some really big games. Yeah, I think we have uh, in Football Outsiders, we had the Saints as the number two DVOA run defense. So tough against running kind of however you slice it. I think the stat they threw out was hadn't the Saints not allowed a 100-yard rusher since maybe late 2018, and then they allowed two in this game to both he and Miles Sanders. Sanders got most of his production on one long carry, but uh, Hurts was pretty productive throughout the day, carrying the ball a lot pretty effectively. And I think it's got to be encouraging to... Eagles fans and fantasy owners to see him sort of unlock Sanders, even though, like you said, it's that one big play. The fact that he did get him down there for that second touchdown, the Eagles being able to move the ball and score some points when that just hasn't been in the mix for so long. The contrast was so stark. I think you've got to be very optimistic. Yeah. You know, I I don't really know what they're going to do about Carson Wentz. His contract is such an albatross at this point that I don't think other teams will be eager to trade for it. Um, at least not in any kind of salary way that makes sense for the Eagles. But I think it seems like a fait accompli that, that Hertz is going to be the starter the rest of this season. So for your fantasy football purposes, I think you can pick him up and start him with relative confidence, as you mentioned, with pretty attractive matchup the rest of the way. Okay, Sean, why don't you hit us with your second choice of an interesting waiver wire for week 16? Yeah, so we have Lynn Bowden here, who, especially in leagues where he's both running back and wide receiver eligible, uh, this is such an interesting guy. He's someone I was using a lot of a late third, and if you have those fourth round picks in your rookie draft, to add him onto dynasty rosters after the Raiders drafted him relatively early, and then it all went south. Right? They sour on him, they dump him off on the Dolphins, and you're thinking, well, you know, if, if they pick this guy with a day two pick and it only took a handful of practices for them to be like, no, we, we don't even need him on our roster. Then, you know, that raises a lot of questions for you. He doesn't have great size. He doesn't have great athleticism and maybe he's just simply not an NFL player. But the thing that you look at here is that the multifaceted abilities that Mm -hmm. made the Raiders so interested in the first place. Now those are starting to, to come out, right? I mean, he's the guy who, in 2018 for Kentucky had a 38% dominator right rating. I mean, 36% of the yards, 38% of the touchdowns, you know, in Kentucky's offense, that still wasn't a ton of production, but he was the guy for them. And then he gets thrust into this quarterback role and goes for over 1400 yards rushing. And so the Raiders decision to try and put him in a third position, you know, they didn't give him a lot of chance to sort of warm into that. But now that we've seen with these other Dolphins wide receivers going down, that Bowden's multiple abilities become valuable again to this roster. A really big part of their push down the stretch to try and overcome this massive lead by the Chiefs. So, you know, you've talked a little bit about his snap percentage. You're going to talk about that. The targets jumping up to nine there he's really Mm -hmm. moving in a very positive direction and there were even a couple of plays where they wanted him to throw passes right so you look at what russell gage did last week where he was very effective in the receiving game but then also through this touchdown pass i think that the fact that the dolphins want to involve him in so many different ways you've got to be very excited about if you're going to put him on the end of the bench and see what 
opportunity might be there down week 15. Maybe you wait this week and you're not going to start him even if you're semi-desperate, but you know, more injuries always happening. If you need someone in the fantasy championship, I mean, this could be a guy who comes out of nowhere and scores 15 points for you. It's really interesting, Sean, because Bowden, as you mentioned, running back eligible in both ESPN and Yahoo platforms, but isn't really a running back. I mean, I know that you you, you talked about how talented he is from multiple perspectives. He tried to throw passes. He kind of smartly threw one out of bounds and, and tucked and ran on one when things didn't really develop, something you don't always see with guys that rarely get those types of touches, but really was playing out of the slot, I thought, mostly. And even though he may not have the size or kind of straight speed athleticism, showed some sharp cuts, I thought looked pretty talented. And in the type of league that you're in, like if you're in a PPR format that's maybe a little bit deeper where you can use him at running back and get those PPR points, you can grab a slot receiver there. It can be really valuable. He led the team with a 71% offensive snap share for the week. Uh, Devontae Parker got hurt, suffered a leg injury early in the game, so down at 33%. Uh, Jakeem Grant got hurt, I think, at some point too. So some of that is probably just kind of last man standing situation here. I mean, even Matt Collins got a 48% snap share, but he also, I mean, Bowden was also playing while those other players were playing too. Uh, he's, he's kind of subbing in in the slot, which isn't really where those guys play. It's not where Preston Williams plays. If he ends up being able to come back on the field later in the season as well, dealing with his foot injury. So I think it's really intriguing kind of almost in the way that in fantasy baseball, if you have a player with some random position of eligibility, like second base that he doesn't really deserve, it's that kind of a situation where depending on your rule set, you may be able to take advantage and get a player that is probably a little bit better than that position would on its own make him be. I agree. And he's someone who I targeted specifically for the zero running back types of redraft teams in best ball. And then in dynasty, you're hoping you, you get this guy who could be you know, a, a six, seven, eight target guy, even if it's out of the backfield. Now, he's probably not going to have that running back eligibility for your dynasty team in future seasons, unfortunately. But down the stretch here in 2020, it's it's a big factor. This isn't super relevant for for a fantasy perspective, but I would really love to know why the Raiders cut him as quickly as they did. I have to imagine that it was some kind of personality driven decision rather than like they didn't have enough time to really even evaluate him as a player. And surely he could have contributed as a special teams player, if nothing else. But uh, I mean, we've seen the Dolphins take some chances on some other guys like Antonio Callaway is starting to play for them now, too. And the Browns let him go for off the field reasons. But I don't know. It's really interesting. And I'm interested to see what happens here with uh, the Dolphins dealing with so many injuries that some of these guys are going to have to play, it seems like. Yeah, it may have just been a, a weird fit situation that Gruden, after seeing him, didn't think he was going to be able to do the specific things they wanted him to do. But like you said, it is very odd. And, you know, Devontae Booker's had a couple of breakout performances where he broke some plays and scored some points, but not in a way where you'd really be able to use him effectively in your actual lineup. The last two weeks when he's had a little bit more of an expanded opportunity has shown again. I mean, he's he's a replacement player or a slightly below replacement player type of guy. Jalen Richard, they are always signing to more money and refusing to play. It's not like they had a lot behind Josh Jacobs. So uh, the timing of that decision really was odd. It was, it was. Okay, I'll shift it back to fantasy to talk about my second recommendation for week 15. I forget which week it is. Uh, I know it's the fantasy playoffs though. It's T.Y. Uh, Hilton, and Sean, I'm going to probably want to get your opinion about this before I get too deep. Hilton had a good game, five catches, 86 yards, and two touchdowns on seven targets, which led the team by three, and he's now scored at least one touchdown in three straight games. But the 
it, it, I mean, it's true that his target share has definitely increased of late. 16.8% from weeks 1 to 11 when he was healthy. That was 42nd among wide receivers. He's jumped to 22.1% the last three weeks, 26th among wide receivers. Uh, but he hasn't really seen his snap share jump back to sort of, I think, his previous career levels. He played 67% this week, trailing Michael Pittman at 90%, and the same as Pascal at 67%. So I wouldn't necessarily call him the Colts' number one receiver. Uh, he's been the most productive fantasy receiver over the last month, but I'm not sure that. And it, this seems to be a little bit motivated by the matchups, potentially, playing the Titans, Texans, and Raiders the last three weeks. They're ranked 30th, 25th, and 15th in DVOA pass defense. You know, that he does grab the, the Texans again this next week before the Steelers in Week 16 in your championship. So I don't think you're going to want to use Hilton in Week 16, but maybe for Week 15, like, what do you think, Sean? Do you think that... Hilton has done enough of late that it's kind of gotten the first 11 weeks out of your mind, or is this more just a hot streak that happens for a downfield type of target like he is? I think it's going to be a little bit of both. You're going to have these hot streaks for guys in that particular role, especially as you mentioned, when the schedule loosens up a little bit, and perhaps especially when the defense is no longer looking at them as the alpha type of player. We saw this yeah. with AJ Green, you know, scoring some points this week when very clearly T. Higgins and Tyler Boyd are the guys there. And AJ Green is you know, almost a, a release from your team kind of guy, and yet he still did have a good fantasy week. And, and I'm referring to it as a release from a reality team <laughs> type of guy. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, you look at Hilton, you know, he's had some of these different injuries. Blair Andrews has done some great research for us talking about wide receiver busts and wide receiver bounce backs and how age is a factor in both of those different elements. And the injuries are not something you should necessarily be chasing. Again, the, the name of, of Green jumps up there as someone who, you know, we, we forget the fact that he hadn't played for a long time and the idea that the Bengals would pay him so much money and think that he was going to come out and be this mm -hmm. focal point of their offense you know the history does not really support that and he hasn't supported that this season now Hilton has been in a very similar boat until this bounce back here I think he's a guy where if you're in a deeper league say you know you start 10 you know you don't have a defense and kicker so you've got a lot of flex positions you have a lot of wide receivers that you have to run out there I think anybody in this Philip Rivers offense, especially now, perhaps with the offense being so well-rounded, Jonathan Taylor finally looking like the stud that we thought that he was going to be, I think it's going to be hard to cover Hilton. And so those splash plays are possible. All of the caveats that you mentioned or the concerns that you mentioned in terms of is the volume actually there, I think those are legitimate concerns. So if you have a different route, you probably want to take that. Yeah, I think there there may be a little bit of clustering here where the the four touchdowns makes it seem really good, but he's had just 1.49 opportunity adjusted touchdowns the last three games. That surplus of 2.51 is the highest at the position and kind of well ahead of, of most of the pack. The way I would frame it, I think, just to kind of give you a sense of things is asking you, Sean, would you rather start Hilton the rest of the way or Nelson Aguilar, a player that I think has been a little bit more productive, but it hasn't been the back-to-back-to-back -to -back -to -back type of production? That's a tough one there because Aguilar has so many similarities in that, you know, you really are looking at the potential donut right at the most important time of the season. Mm -hmm. But unlike Hilton, he really has emerged now as the guy there. They have Darren Waller. He's the, the, the engine of that offense. But with Henry Ruggs really not ever emerging outside of, you know, the miracle touchdown to win the previous week. Aguilar has such a, a firm role or a firm position in that pecking order that he's a little bit easier to start. 
Yeah. So I think that, I think that kind of sets a, a, a guidance or a benchmark for fantasy players to use. You're talking about a player in that sort of range of fantasy value. So don't be, you know, don't, don't look too much at the last three weeks of actual numbers, fantasy numbers, because I don't think that gives a totally accurate representation of what Hilton is going to be the rest of the way. But by all means, if you're in a deeper format or maybe you want to kind of shoot for upside in a DFS format, specifically this week in week 15, uh, I, I think you can go for it in that sense. Okay, Sean, why don't you hit us with your third choice for a waiver ad for week 15? Yeah, so this is going to be a, a deeper one again for folks who uh, either have a zero running back squad or just, you know, all of us now, regardless of how we drafted, are in a position where running backs are at a premium. You need to fill that second slot on your roster. If you're desperate, Travion Williams becomes an interesting play, right? You have Gio Bernard. A guy who has some value as a receiver, but is not an early down running back in the NFL. You have Samaj P. Ryan, who you know we've seen for a number of years, including where he first came out, that he is a guy who, again, is a little bit below replacement value. Why not give Williams a try? And the Bengals have actually done that in week 14 and despite the one fumble that sort of derailed things for a second the results were were pretty favorable now Williams is someone again like the other two players I mentioned I've been following for a while and and just desperately hoping he would at least get some chance before he's out of the NFL altogether this is a guy who in 2018 at Texas A&M rushed for over 1700 yards went over 2,000 yards from scrimmage, right? And you know that playing the schedule that A&M does, that this isn't against just you know players where you have holes opening up and you're running 70 yards untouched on numerous plays. I mean, you're having to fight for these yards. And so the fact that we have seen a couple of 2,000 yards from scrimmage guys come in this season with so much fanfare and just contrast that to someone like Williams for which there never has been any. And the Bengals, even with a bad running back depth chart between behind Joe Mixon, and Joe Mixon himself, you could even question. Now, I mean, he's going to be the guy there. He's got the big contract. But the Bengals aren't exactly loaded at running back. So, so what is the deal? I mean, you have to assume that Williams doesn't look great in practice, that they don't really believe in him. Or for some reason, he just hasn't played. But And, and this may be a little bit to my preference for these types of backs. But at 206 with a 4-5-140, I mean, this isn't a guy with far below NFL athleticism, right? I mean, it's maybe a little bit at that line, but I like those guys in that range. You pull up our NFL Combine Explorer, you see players like Gio, his teammate, and then Devontae Freeman as close physical matches. And when you put that with what he's done in college, one of the things that we continue to see is that collegiate production, especially elite production, does translate to the NFL because if you want to be someone who can compete at this level, you need to be far better than those college players. And so when given the chance, these guys often emerge. Now, I don't think that we're going to see that from Williams. I think that the Bengals' reluctance to play him to this point is a big red flag, and it probably won't take much to go the opposite direction. But he's the best guy on their depth chart right now. And if you need someone to play the last couple of weeks, I think that his usage in week 14 gives you some encouragement. I agree with some of what you're saying, Sean, but for me, that kind of makes more of a case for a dynasty format than any type of rest of season consideration. And to me, a lot of this, a lot of his sort of quote unquote breakout day from, from this last week was really kind of need some context to fully understand. He played 38% of the offensive snaps, which is significantly more than Giovanni Bernard, but Bernard lost a fumble on his first carry of the game 
uh, on his opening drive and then seemingly got benched for a little bit after that. Now, you mentioned that Williams ended up fumbling at the end of his series as well, the second series. Um, but Williams did come back for the fourth drive of the game, and then Bernard ended up starting the second half at running back. Uh, so it seemed a little bit like there may have been some sort of coach punishment there with Bernard, which I, I've never really fully understood that mentality, but that could be a contributor to Williams' kind of workload. In the second half, he didn't touch the ball at all until the last three plays of the game, which were all three carries he took with the team down, what, 30 to 7 or something like that. So I'm not sure there was really a, a ton there. The one thing I will say as the player is that I like that Williams seemed to be very decisive as a runner, which is something that I think has to be a good trait on a team with such bad run and pass blocking, where it's like he was hitting the hole and avoiding the the big loss type of plays that can be drive killers. Uh, it's it's not like he was getting more than was blocked for him. He wasn't pushing the pile, wasn't making people miss necessarily, but it's still an attractive quality, I think, maybe in a backup running back. Uh, but So I, I would say from a dynasty perspective, I could be a little bit interested, but I would say don't misconstrue his his 15 touches this week or his 38% snap share as a reason to think that he might be a contributor the rest of this season, uh, even though Joe Mixon, I think, may not play again the rest of this year anyway. Okay, um, I'll finish with my third choice here, Cole Komet, tight end for the Chicago Bears. We were talking about this as an interesting option before the show. Uh, Jimmy Graham is the one that scored a touchdown this last week, but Komet led the tight ends on the team with seven targets, had four catches for 41 yards and played 85% of the offensive snaps. And more so than even his target share, his snap share has shown that he's sort of taken over as the primary tight end for the Bears. He played fewer than 50% of the offensive snaps in each of weeks one through nine, but has played at least 70% weeks 10 to 14. And over the last two weeks, has a 21.2% target share that's seventh among tight ends. So you like that a little bit. I'm going to be a little bit skeptical because it, it seems to me like Nick Foles is really the the quarterback that's more in tune with targeting his tight ends with Trubisky on the field. I'm not sure that's going to be consistent, uh, but I'll point out that, you know, the Bears do draw the Vikings this next week. They increase tight end yards per target by 22%. That's the highest in football. So in your deeper formats, it's a good matchup and it's a player that seems to be ascending uh, that could make a difference for you in your deeper leagues. What do you think, Sean? I agree. You mentioned that week nine time period, and that was around the time the Bears were saying, look, Komet looks fantastic in practice. He's a very fast learner. They drafted him very early as a guy they thought was going to be an impact player. This is about the time you would start to see him emerge, and the coaching staff was saying, look, the only thing that's holding him back is us and the rest of our offense. It's not him. And since that mm -hmm. time period, yeah, over the last three weeks, 17 targets to only nine for Jimmy Graham. Now he hasn't caught all of those, but he does have a touchdown. You think about this game yesterday. And it, like you said, Graham scored, but Komet, Komet looked fantastic, right? He's getting open. He's a big target. He's a quick target. He looks like a guy who is right about to turn the corner. So again, you're obviously not going to bench him ahead of a top 15 tight end for this week. But a lot of us are in difficulties where, you know, if you've lost your number one tight end, you're sort of scrounging the waiver wire for options and you need sort of a, a Hail Mary type of play. You need someone with some upside to give you that ability to perhaps beat a superior team in the semis. I think Komet could be this really big breakout play. Don't, you know, don't be turned off by the fact that it was Graham who scored. Komet is the guy now with the Bears, and this offense suddenly looks very 
pedestrian, which is a big step up from where it was previously. Right? <laughs> I was I was really curious how you were going to finish that sentence. Yeah. <laughs> so you know now they can move the ball a little bit. Trubisky actually looks all right. I think that you have to have some enthusiasm here. I mean, the only thing really keeping me off of Komet the last couple of weeks is simply that, you know, how much exposure can you possibly want to the Bears? They're turning a little bit of a corner, and I like him here. Again, it's a little bit more of a desperation play, but the trends are very, very positive. Yeah, I'm sure there are a lot of people still alive in their fantasy playoffs who remain desperate at tight end. So, you know, you could definitely do worse than Komet this week uh, for, for your fantasy squads. Okay, that's going to wrap up this Tuesday episode of the Football Outsiders Fantasy Podcast. Sean, thanks so much for joining. Uh, tell everyone where they can read your work and, and any other way they can get at some of your, your great content. Yeah, thanks so much for having me, Scott. Uh, head over to, to rotaviz.com. We've got you covered in all of the different formats and, and venues for fantasy. If you want to listen to the pod, Colin Kelly and I have a cool one at Rotoviz Overtime, and it, it's always a blast to be on here with Football Outsiders. Well, we appreciate having you, Sean. We'll bring you back uh, probably in the offseason since we're running out of time. But we are still going to do DFS shows going forward, too. So if you want some DFS advice, swing back to this podcast this Friday to check out what I have for you for Week 15. Thanks so much, everybody, and I'll talk to you then. Mm-hmm.